As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. Well, good morning. Let's give it up to my friend Andy Rozier for leading us in worship today. Come on now, bringing down the house. Came all the way out from Colorado, or I don't know where he's living these days. He doesn't text me and tell me that kind of stuff, but no, we're grateful to have him. So did you feel the presence of God in our worship service? That he's here, and that's why we're here. We wouldn't be here if he wasn't here. This isn't a social club. This isn't a health club. This isn't a let's get our act together and get things right This is a time and a place to meet with God. So I want to welcome you and thank all of you for being here today. Hey, I want to drop this name on you. If I could have chose a different name, Ronald may not have been it. My dad apologized me on his deathbed. I kid you not. He said, Ron, I just got to tell you, I didn't know about this whole Ronald McDonald thing. I'm like, Dad, it's okay. Here's a name, power name, Buckminster. Look at this guy, Buckminster Fuller. Man, if I would have had a boy, that would have been it. And Buckminster, he wrote a book in 1982, and he was way ahead of his time. He was a futurist and a, and a theorist, and it was called The Critical Path. And what he began to describe is something that's happening now, but he wrote about knowledge. And he said that knowledge was doubling. And so he wrote that, Up until 1900, knowledge was doubling every century. Then in 1945, knowledge began to double every 25 years. It's like doubling. And then in 2013, we know that knowledge doubles every 13 years. And now today, some would tell us that knowledge doubles every 12 hours. Think about that for a moment. Two times between now and the next day that what? That we will expand all this knowledge. Man, you can Google anything. You can figure anything out. And you can Google what? I mean, anything from the theory of relativity to the show times for Jurassic Park. I remember when you have to, have to go to the newspaper to figure that out. I, But my question is this, with all this doubling of knowledge and this increase in knowledge, are we any wiser? Has wisdom doubled? I mean, we're getting the answer. I'm hearing it from the front row. It's blowing back. No, it's not. I'm wondering about you at home, what you're thinking. We're thankful for you joining us that is wisdom doubling? Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter one. If you don't have a copy of God's word, then please, um, uh, I don't know what I say then. Grab one. There's one around you if you're with us. If not, you could look up on your phone. We're going to put the verses on the screen. This is what this new series is all about. I want to talk with you over the summer about the difference between knowledge and wisdom because they're not the same. And we think they're the same, but they're not the same. A lot of knowledge is being dispensed on social media. Is there a lot of wisdom, though? <laughs> it depends how you define wisdom. And so I always like to say it like this, jokingly, that, that um, knowledge knows that a tomato is a fruit, but wisdom knows don't put it in a fruit salad. 
I mean, that's just not going to work. And, and so knowledge, listen closely, is wisdom applied. That's knowledge. Wisdom applied. We're going to spend the summer applying wisdom so that we can become wise people. And so this is where we're headed. I'd like to show you where we're going in the smallest possible print that we could so that you can't see. <laughs> and so I can't even see and I'm staying up here at the wise understand life. That's what we're going to talk about from Proverbs chapter 1, and we're going to hit the first seven verses, and I want to give you some words of wisdom as we open this series up. Then we're going to talk about the wise passing down their wisdom. That's next week, Father's Day, and so special message to the dads and all of us that how do we pass down wisdom? And you can see the topics. I won't resolve them for you, but the wise hate what God hates. Uh, Talk about the wise develop healthy relationships. The wise show emotional strength. I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff we're going to be doing. Because we want to go after wisdom, not just knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge are intermingled and they're intertwined. And so we want wisdom. Let me begin reading from Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. Going to come back to those terms. To give prudence to who? The simple. To give knowledge and discretion to who? To the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. Never done. And to the one who understands, obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Then look at verse 7. Underline that if you've got a Bible in front of you. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and knowledge. First word of wisdom today is simply this. The highest pursuit in life is to obtain wisdom. That should be your highest pursuit. It should be above anything else is I need wisdom. I want wisdom. I mean, no, don't pursue power. Don't pursue prestige. Don't pursue popularity. Don't pursue privilege. But pursue wisdom. That, that's, the, that, that's the common denominator. That's what Solomon is talking about. It says in verse 1, let's tackle it. We're a Bible church. We like to look at the Bible because we believe this can apply to our lives. It's not some ancient document that is irrelevant. But I just thought when I say something like that and there's excitement for me, you'd like be excited. We believe this book applies to our lives, doesn't it? And, and so it says the Proverbs of Solomon. Solomon is the one who wrote the Proverbs. He wrote the majority of them. He actually wrote over 3,000 Proverbs. Can you believe this? 513 are recorded here. That's most of them. The ones he didn't write were written by people he influenced. Some people, Proverbs 31 doesn't have his name on it, but some people think it's a pseudoname that it really was him. A side note, just because we got Andy Rozier, the worship leader who I respect dearly and known for years and so grateful for him. He's written a lot of songs. A lot of songs you know in the Christian world, and he sings them and worshiped and led thousands in stadiums across the country and the world. But Solomon, catch this, Andy, if you're listening, Solomon wrote a thousand songs. He wrote a thousand songs. He wrote 3,000 proverbs. I mean, this guy is unbelievable. And so who is he? Well, he's the son of David. David was the second king of Israel. 
Solomon followed in his footprint or path. It says he's the king of Israel. So Solomon was the third. He ruled for 40 years and his reign was filled with wisdom as as the land was peaceful and there was prosperity under his rule and reign. So he had wisdom. It was the highest pursuit in his life. And so that's why he says to know wisdom it, to know there means to experience it. I want you to experience for yourself. And, and wisdom here, interestingly, if we double-click on this word, in the Hebrew, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the New Testament written in Greek. In the Hebrew language, there's actually several different words for wisdom. There's three words for wisdom, of which this is the one that's used the most. It's actually, I find this funny. It, this one is actually in the female voice. Do you want to know Why? Because women are smarter than men. (laughs) You guys knew that. I I knew that was coming. I thought there'd be a louder applause. But I know why there wasn't. It's like, ah, we know that. Everybody else should know it. But but it really literally means, if you double-click on this word, it means skill. And so it's used, it's the same word used of those who built the temple with great creativity and skill and mastery, that, that, that that's what wisdom is. It's this skill. And then it says... And instruction, that's the word for discipline. You know what discipline is? Discipline, that's what that literally means. And discipline is saying no to something now so that you can say yes to something better later. It's a short-term sacrifice for a long-term gain. That's discipline. That I'm going to give something up now for what's better later. And so that's what wisdom does. And to understand words of insight is that I can see through various lenses. I don't only see through the one lens. I was born in Cleveland, Ohio, on the uh, western side of the suburbs. And I just don't look at life through my spectrum and my lens. I, I have an ability to look through different lens. I'm not discipled by one news channel. I can see things because I don't want my wisdom. I want God's wisdom. And so let me just ask you this. How do we get it? And the answers just are just flooding up. Well, I, I think you're wondering, and if we look to how Solomon got it, he prayed for it. You say, that's it? I say, that's it. And so 1 Kings 3, I'm going to turn over there and I'm going to read you a portion of his prayer. And and he prayed for it. So if you want it for yourself, if you want it for your little kid, if you want it for your spouse, if you want it for your friend, if, man, I'm telling you, they need it. Well, we got to pray for it. I I want it for all of us. I want it for those of you who are watching online. I, I just want more wisdom. Can we declare this the summer of wisdom? That like, just, let's just be thinking about, well, how do we get it? Well, we pray for it. It says in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 7, and now, O Lord, this is his prayer, Solomon's. He's like, now, O Lord, I imagine him down on his knee. You've made me servant, your servant, king, in place of David, my dad, and although I'm about a little kid, I, I don't know how to go out or come in. So there's an acknowledgement that I don't really know a lot. And God's going to give him some wisdom. And he says, your servant is in the midst of your people. You have chosen a great people, too many to be numbered and counted. And here it is. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. 
That's wisdom, that you make a discerning between what's good, what's evil, what's best, what's better. Man, could we pray for our government officials with elections and the time. The Bible says pray for your leaders, whatever party you're on, for discernment. That's what this leader's praying for. He says, give your servant therefore understanding mine to govern your people that I may discern. Then it says in verse 10, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had said this. And God said to him, because you have not asked for yourself long life or riches of life or, or, or that you'd be away from your enemies, you, I, I give you what is right. I'll do according to your word. So the Bible says that Jesus made it clear, if you ask God for bread, he's not going to give you a stone. And so, Father, I even just pray in this moment with heads bowed that, Lord, we need your wisdom. And I pray specifically for that parent in here who's struggling with maybe their kid in the teenage years and what's that look like and the decisions that are being made and even what happened last weekend. And Lord, give them discernment on how to best handle the responsibility that you've given them. As our kids, Lord, they're yours. They're not ours. And I pray for that person who's making a decision about a business or some finances or possibly a job change. And maybe the weight of that job has just been extreme. I, I pray for discernment and wisdom and, and what to do and how to, how to respond. And Lord, I, I pray for our church family that, that you would give us wisdom in this summer that we would be a model of your wisdom. Give us right and discerning minds to know your will so that we could do your way. If you agree with that prayer, simply say, amen. amen. Okay, message over, let's go. <laughs> no, that's not it. Another word of wisdom, what's our attitude? Well, our attitude has got to be teachability. And we've got to be humble and teachable. And I remember when um, I was in, uh, I played basketball in high school, some of you know, and um, went on to play in college. And, and in high school, I'll never forget, I don't remember the details of the practice, but I just remember the result. And the result was that the coach kicked me out of the gym, my coach, and I ran the halls for the whole practice. Two and a half hours, I was running the halls of the high school, not practicing with the team. Now, how could that happen to a guy like me? I know you're wondering. I, I thought I knew better than him. I thought I knew what was best for me. I thought I knew what was best for the team. My third grade teacher, oh gosh, I don't even want to admit this. She wrote on my report card, Ronnie has a chip on his shoulder. Can you imagine bringing that home in third grade? And so God, in his sovereignty, has been using people and circumstances to to file that thing down. And so Solomon is saying, man, I got, I got, some, I got, I got some chips that I, I got to file down in some areas. And the, the area, the chip on your shoulder has to do with righteousness and wise dealing and justice and equity. And, and so I don't think this is an exhaustive list, but it's an exhausting list if we take it seriously. So our attitude needs to be teachability. And so let's take one of these, let's slow down. And so wisdom is knowledge applied. Let's take the Bible and apply it to our present circumstances with each of these four topics. The first, he says, wise dealing. Let me ask you this. Are you being honest, fair, and professional in all 
I repeat, all of your business dealing. Is that what would characterize you? Remember when Jody and I bought our house in Wheaton to, to when we moved here to plant the church? And I'll never forget because we asked the question, we had, somebody had told us, ask the question, is there flooding in the basement? So we asked the owner, we asked the realtor, even they check the box. There's now a thing, they check, no, yep, no, no, never had that. Well, guess what happened about two months later after we moved in? Yeah, we were out in the basement, you know, freaking bailing the stuff and it's like, what is going on here? And I ripped down the drywall and there was cracks in the foundation, man. This couldn't have been the first time this happened. And, and catch this, he was a pastor that sold me the house. Oh, those pastors, you gotta look out for them. And then the guy who was the realtor started coming to our church when we were meeting and he would sit in the second row and I'm thinking, you told, you knew about that house that you sold me? God cursed that man. No, I didn't do that. But I may have thought it. Are you being honest and fair in all your business dealings? And, and then the second thing, remember, these are words right out of the text. So when it comes to righteousness, and so let's take a New Testament perspective, are you trusting in Christ's imputed righteousness rather than your own self-righteousness to please and honor God? Now what that means, imputed righteousness, it's not yours. You're no good in and of yourself. Please hear me. You aren't as good or as wise as you think you are. If the wheels haven't fallen off yet of your life, they will. It happens to everyone because we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so I can't trust in my goodness. I got to trust in God's goodness that Christ was crucified for me. Knowledge is I know that. Wisdom is I apply it to my life and I receive that for myself and I actually feel the forgiveness that God has granted through the cross because I've admitted that I'm a sinner and I've committed my life to him. And so that's what imputed righteousness is. I don't please God by being a good person, by helping an old lady across the street, by not selling another pastor a basement that has cracks in the foundation without telling him. It doesn't matter. We all sin. And, and so we need Christ's righteousness. And so I love how um, this theologian puts it, Tim Keller. He says the gospel, because that's all we're talking about. Christ's imputed righteousness is the gospel, the good news. He says that you're more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe, but more accepted and loved than you'd ever dared to hope. That's the gospel. Third question. It has to do with justice. Boy, that's a topic for today. It's all over the Bible. What are we asking? Well, are you treating everyone with dignity and honor and fairness and respect because we're all made in the image of God? I mean, is that what you're doing? Because that's wisdom. And I love what John Perkins said in his book, One Blood. 
And John Perkins, if you're not familiar with him, we've actually had him here at our church, and he's spoken from this stage. Uh, Jody and I and my kids have been to his house in Mississippi and had dinner with him. I mean, this is one of the wisest guys I've ever met in my life. He's in his 90s now, and he served under four presidents for racial reconciliation and, and issues of justice. And, and he says this, Perhaps the strongest indictment against us as the church is that we have settled for an Americanized version of the church that mirrors whatever culture says. How about that for a moment? Is he speaking truth? That, that's exactly what's happened. And then look, he's going to refine it in an area. He says, and there's no collective sense of loss. There's no sense of remorse. We have sinned deeply. The problem is that we haven't gotten a taste of the sinfulness of racism we don't see the wickedness of profiling God's people that he has created to be one and that he has created in his image. But boy, that's wisdom. And then here's another one that our next word, we're just looking at the text when it comes to equity and these terms interrelate. Are you speaking up and standing up for those who are being mistreated, mischaracterized, marginalized, or bullied? Pastor Craig told a story from John chapter 8 a few weeks ago, and I, when I wasn't here, I watched online, and I was compelled. I want to tell it again. It's about the Pharisees, and, and they pulled the woman out of adultery and standing in the middle of the road, and they're ready to stone her for what she did, the religious leaders. Remember what Jesus said? He said, he was without sin, cast the first stone. What did they do? They just dropped the rock, and then... What did he do? He looked at the woman and he said, go and sin no more. See, Jesus is fair and equitable and treating us the same and not trusting in our righteousness, but Christ's righteousness. And so I don't know where these four words, if, if you know, are you teachable in these areas? Maybe there's more areas that, other than these, that, that I need to be more teachable in because it's not just knowledge, it's wisdom that I need. Let's return to the basketball analogy and I won't make you run the halls of the church. Some of you are just like, no, nope, get up, run. Get out of the service, go run. But let's listen to what the goat of all college coaches, I have his autobiography in my office at home and, and, and this is what he wrote, John Wooden. He says it so graciously. 10 NCAA championships and four undefeated seasons. Slow down and understand what he means. It's what you learn after you know it all that counts. Do you get what he's saying? He's meaning you think you know everything. When you think you know everything, you don't know anything. There's more to learn. Man, I think I'm an expert on that topic. In God's economy, you're not. You scratch the surface. Because... Wisdom is knowledge applied. I love that. It's what you learn after you know it all that counts the most. And, and so that's what Solomon said, who wrote this. Let's look at a Proverbs, Proverbs 12. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. The third word of wisdom. Good stuff? Yes. Third one is this, that there's an adventure here in this pursuit of wisdom. It's teaching others. So we want to teach others. And, and so there's two groups of people that are named in the text. And again, I, I don't know if it's like this is exclusive, but it's a great start. It says to teach the simple and the youth. So who are the simple? 
And pastor, are you telling me to get in my car and drive to Iowa? Is that what you're saying? Find some of those people? Come on, are we all born in Iowa? What? Pick a state. You know what? You guys are so arrogant here in Chicago. How about if I would have said, hey, if you get in your car and go south of I-80, or south of I-80, you'd be like, yeah, those people are all, that's where the simple ones live. But, but no, in all seriousness, it's not that. My wife was born on a farm, man. She didn't, I mean, there's this, it's not that, it's innocence. And it's, at times, it's just unsuspecting. That, that's what he's getting at. My mother-in-law got a call recently from, um, she got a call from someone claiming to be her granddaughter. And so she answers the phone and the girl, the scammer, let's call her, the scammer says, um, this is your granddaughter and I need help. Grandma, can you help me? And then look at how these people work, man. So, so, so my mother-in-law goes, Allie? So what did she do? She gave the name. And then she goes, yes, this is Allie. And then I, I need some money. And, and then I'm telling you, I, I don't go through the whole story, but I, I mean, it's like we headed this thing off. She was like getting in her car, driving over to the bank to wire her money. I, I, but you don't have to be 80 years old to, to be unsuspecting. <laughs> My youngest daughter, oh Lord, help us. She just gets graduated from college. They're moving out of the apartment and they're selling some stuff on Zillow or something or selling some, I don't know what, what, how this happened, but the guy, another scammer, he tried to get 600 bucks from him through some wet, and he's like, oh no, you gotta, and Jody, man, she sniffed this thing out. Boy, she sniffs about the scam. And so we put a kill on it and, and I, I mean, has anybody gotten a call recently about your car warranty? <laughs> Can anybody identify with this? Like, I'm like, I don't own the stinking car anymore. Stop calling me. Man, scams are everywhere, aren't they? And so we need wisdom and we need knowledge. Now, the youth, that's another category. It's a big bucket. And so I want to say to you that there's nothing I'm more passionate about than investing in the next generation for Christ, and that's illustrated, so thankful for our church. Last week, we had them all on the stage. We had eight interns. Can we give it up for them? That These are interns that they're coming to us for 10 weeks. You're gonna see them all over, and from schools all over the place, Moody and, and Taylor and U of I, and as far as St. Vincent, and I mean, it's just, it's just unbelievable, and so we wanna invest in them. We get the privilege, man, of trying to shape and help and, and to dispense some wisdom in them through the experiences that we've learned because we've paid a lot of stupid tax. So we're like, hey, try this. And, and so we want to invest in the next generation. And I have you to thank for that because of our limitless initiative. You have given resources to enable us to do it. So we're doing it together. It's just awesome. So that's the interns. Ben Franklin found this interesting. You know, you always hear these crazy stories. And so listen to what he did. He, inv he wanted to invest in the youth so much that he took $2,000 and he gave it to the city of Boston. And he took $2,000. I mean, that's a lot of money back then, 200 years ago or more. And, and, he, and he gave it to the city of, um, what's the other one? Philadelphia. And so he gives him this money, but he says it's in his will. And he says in his will, but you can't draw upon the funds for 200 years. Think about that. Isn't that an amazing thing? 
And so 200 years later, the money is worth over $7 million. And it's invested in shaping the minds of the youth because that's what he was so passionate about. And so are we willing to invest in the next generation? How do you teach someone? Well, Ben Franklin, he said it like this. Tell me, and I forgot. Teach me, and I remember. Involve me, though? And man, that's when I'm really going to learn. And so we need to be teachable. Next word of wisdom, as we walk through the text today, it's this, that the aim of this pursuit is maturity. So that's the bullseye. The bullseye that we're going for is that I'm going to become more mature. That's what wisdom gives you. And so there's a play on words in the whole book. Now, see, wisdom is mentioned over 125 times in the book of Proverbs. If you read it this summer, you can highlight, begin to highlight. And, and it's, it's mentioned five times in this passage. But there's an interplay, if we go to the verses, between the wise and the foolish. So that's what it's all about. It's the wise and the foolish. And so even we see the wise hear and increase learning, and, and they understand, and they obtain guidance. That literally means to steer, that God wants to steer your life and through wisdom. And, and so it's wise, foolish, but this is the interesting thing. I did a lot of research this week. The foolish, there's three Hebrew words for fool in the Proverbs and in the Old Testament. And each of those Hebrew words, they mean a slightly different thing, but you don't see it because it's only, it, it, it just says fool. And so I've done a lot of research on this. I want you to know, like I went all out. I mean, I'm studying and doing all this. And, and so this is the meaning of these three kinds of fool. And so I want to give you wisdom so that you can apply it. So I actually have a picture of each one. Again, this is going to be highly academic. So please hold on to your seats, put your thinking caps on. The first person is this. This is Homer. Homer Simpson is literally referred to 49 times in the Proverbs. And it's, I'm not joking, he's a blockhead. He thinks he knows everything. He, he's a fool. And, and, and that's the first kind. The second picture, you'll love this one. Do you know who this is? This is Patrick. Patrick and this kind of fool, this one, like, look at him. He's so stupid. He down the board on his head. I mean, but, but interestingly, this is only used three times in the Proverbs. And this has to do with, it's a person that lacks spiritual discernment and spiritual awareness. That, and we see these people, they just lack, they have no sense of spiritual calling or, or depth in their life. And then I hesitate to show you the picture of this one. Our kids were not allowed to watch this, but these are the second, this is the third type of fool. There's two of them. Uh, Beavis and, oh, let's just let that go. These two are referred to 29 times in the book of Proverbs. It talks about these two. Even in verse seven, we see the word, the Hebrew word for Beavis and, and it says, fools, at the end of verse 7, despise wisdom instruction. So they're arrogant and they're stupid. So these are the three kinds of fools. Now, I, I had a lot of fun and we laughed a lot, but let's, let's get serious. Let's just dial it in, okay? So here's what one pastor says about these two kinds of people, and he wants to talk about us seeking wisdom, and he compares them this way. It's a long quote. 
He says, the essential difference between the wise man and the fool in the book of Proverbs is that the wise man will hear and the fool won't. It isn't a question of the fool's mental capacity. Actually, he or she may have unusual intellectual ability, but he or she just can't be told anything. See, this is the person that labors under the fatal delusion that their knowledge is infinite and their judgments are infallible. And when their friends try to counsel them, they receive scorn for their efforts. He writes, they they watch him trying to escape the inevitable results of sinful and stupid actions, but they're helpless to avert the crash. And so goes on from one crisis to another. Now their finances are a disaster. Now their personal life is in a shambles. And now their business totters on the edge of chaos. But this is what they do. I mean, they rationalize that life is giving them a bad deal. And it never occurs to them that they are their own worst enemy. They're generous in dispensing advice to others, but oblivious of their own inability to run their own lives. They're compulsive talkers. They hold forth with an of oracle. That's an interesting way to say it. The wise man, though, this is what we're going after. This is the aim. This is what we want. We don't want fool. Whatever three types. We want wise. The wise man is made of better stuff. He realizes that everyone's mental wires have been somewhat crossed by the fall, and he knows that others can sometimes see aspects of a problem that he has overlooked. He or she, they're, they're willing to acknowledge that their memory may be faulty at times. They are teachable, welcoming any input that will help them make the right decision. That's the wise person. That's the bullseye. Wisdom is knowledge applied. Lastly, last word of wisdom, the anchor in this pursuit is the Bible. And so give me some liberty to get here. Verse seven, it it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now you're gonna see that phrase 11 times in the book of Proverbs. It says, fear the Lord four times. So 15 times, fear the Lord. And so what's the fear? Well, I've often described it as a reverential awe. So it's a reverential awe that that what, that I'm, I revere God for who he is. I worship God for who he is. I, I have an appropriate respect for God for who he is and who I am compared to him, that he's the creator and I'm the created. And he's infinite and I'm finite. And so how do I know God? How do I know who he is? Well, I wouldn't know God if if I didn't read this book. Do you understand? I I wouldn't know what he looks like. I wouldn't know what he's about. I wouldn't know what he cares about. I didn't know what's important to him. Like, like if we just do this, forgive me, but if we just say, no, I don't need that, then, then this is what's happening. And this is what's happening to a lot of people. They're making a God in their own image. They're making a God based upon their own experience. They're making a God based upon their own interactions, their own desires. And they're becoming little gods because they've rejected the true God. So I don't know who God is apart from his word that describes him to me. That's why we say, main point please, that the anchor is It's the word. It's the Bible. Now, we don't worship 
just threw it across. We don't worship the book. We worship the God who the book reveals. And so I want to invite our worship team, I want to invite Andy and our team up uh, as we are going to, we're going to engage in worship. And I'm just going to ask you to stand with me if you're able. Like, let's take advantage of this time. But, but Proverbs, it literally means, Proverbs literally means to be like. So what we're doing this series, this summer, is we want to be like the God of this book who's revealed in Jesus Christ. Amen? And, and that's, that's knowledge applied to our individual lives. And so the book of Proverbs, it's, it's about principles. It's not about promises. So the book of Proverbs, as you read it, it's not a promise to claim, but principles to live by. And so that's different because we could say, well, uh, you know, give me a modern day example. Well, how about, um, I don't know, uh, an apple day keeps the doctor away. I mean, what's that mean? Well, that, is, that, is that saying that if I just eat an apple, I'm never going to get sick and I have to, go to the, never go to the doctor? No, it's not saying that. It's just saying that's going to lead to a healthier lifestyle. And so these aren't necessary promises, but they're principles to live by to help us become more wise so that we can become more discerning, so that we can be the people that God wants. That's what we're going after. Proverb, it literally means to be like. We want to be like the God of the Bible who's revealed in Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going for. I love how J.I. Packer says it, and he says it the best. He says, not until we have become humble and teachable, standing in awe of God's holiness and sovereignty, acknowledging our own littleness and, and distrusting our own thoughts, because we don't want to make God in our own image, we want the God of the Bible and willing to have our minds turned upside down, can divine wisdom become ours? God, give us divine wisdom. That's what our desire is. As we stand here now, we stand as a sign of a desire to be taught by you, to learn from you. And so God, we look to you even in this moment. And Father, would you use our worship as we look to you for vision, as we look to you for understanding. God, we need you. And we look to you for wisdom, for the decisions that we're making and the difficulties that are on our plate and the chaos that this world is bringing and, and the struggle that, that we're in. So Lord, we look to you now and we worship you. Pray in Jesus' name.